This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Father God, we want to give you praise this morning. We give you glory because you deserve it for every good thing that has ever happened here in the last five years. We thank you that you've used us, God. We thank you that you've used us despite our mistakes, despite our failures and in our weakness. God, we thank you that you've used us in our gifts and in our strengths and in our wins. God, you have been faithful to us in seasons of great victory and faith and in seasons of mistake and failure. And for that, we want to give you all the praise, glory and honour that you deserve. Thank you for the last five years here at Anchor. And Father God, I pray now as we come before you in your word that you would speak to us and fill our hearts with faith. And I ask this in Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen, Amen. I don't know if you've ever been abseiling. I remember the very first time that I went abseiling was with my youth ministry back at St. Matt's Anglican at West Bennett Hills. I think it was about year seven or eight and it was the very first time that we went on a youth group activity to abseiling out the back of Asquith into Royal National Park there. And we got there early and our leaders were setting up the ropes. Now you've got to understand these were the same leaders that played irresponsible youth group games on Friday night that just so happened to be setting up the abseiling gear. I'm sure that broke every law of OH&S and child safety policy. Actually, they didn't exist back then. So you could probably do whatever you wanted. But here they are setting up this abseiling. And I remember thinking to myself, can I trust A, these guys? I know these guys, I know what they're like. Can I trust them? B, can I trust these ropes? Can I trust these clips? Can I trust these pulleys? Can I trust this harness? Because if I can't, I'm not sure I'm really willing to throw myself off a cliff. And so what I did, um, perhaps a little cautiously, is let some of the other people go before me, watch them go first, ensure that it was indeed safe. And then I took the plunge and jumped off the cliff for the very first time. Now, That moment when you're standing on the edge of a cliff and they tell you lean back, no lean back further, there is a moment of faith that occurs there and all of your faith is riding on the equipment that you are hanging your life in. That is a moment of faith. And this morning we look at a very similar moment in that story that Alnado read for us as Peter takes the step out of a boat onto the surface of the water. It is a moment of incredible faith. Peter, who is the centre of this story, has to be one of the most likeable disciples in the Gospels. I don't know if you resonate at all with Peter. He, um, he's clumsy, he's impulsive, um, he's passionate and he is anything but perfect. And so I think as we read the life of Peter, as we read the the accounts of his exchanges with Jesus in the Gospels, we can't help but fall in love with Peter. And I think we identify with Peter in this story for two reasons. There There is this moment we see in Peter of bold, crazy faith And yet there is also this really crippling doubt that follows not soon after. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, that's our lives, is it not? Moments of faith, moments of belief, but also moments of doubt and moments of unbelief. And this this event here that Arnada read is kind of like a parable of Peter's life. 
If you've you've read anything of Peter, he has these moments, these these bursts of incredible faith that are very quickly followed by that faith fading and evaporating almost instantly. I mean, you think of uh, the end of the Gospels where Jesus announces that he's going to be killed and and Peter says, Lord, uh, let us go that we may die with you. And then just a few hours later, he is standing around a fireplace denying Jesus. So this burst of faith followed by this denial and doubt. Or you think of that moment in John's Gospel where Jesus comes to the disciples and says, who do people say I am? And they throw out all these suggestions and he says, but what about you guys? Who do you say I am? And Peter, in this absolute moment of faith, says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the promised one. And so Jesus responds to him, Peter, Rocky, which is kind of a play on his name, Rocky, on this, church, on this rock I will build my church. And then he says, and you know what? The Gentiles and the, and the, the, the Romans are going to come and they're going to kill the Son of Man. And Peter says to him, hang on, Lord, no way. Far be it from you to happen this way. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. So in one moment, he's like, you are Rocky and and we're going to build the church on this declaration. And then the very next moment, he's like, get behind me, Satan. And then here in this story that was read from us from Matthew 14, Peter says, Lord, beckon me to come and I will walk out onto you to, to the waters. And then it is immediately followed by this cry of help, save me, Lord. And that's Peter's life. And if we're honest, that's probably us as well. That is our journey and our faith. It sounds very, very familiar. And so I want to draw us back to that key moment there in Matthew chapter 14 and have a look at that, that moment where Peter gets out of the boat. And it's, it's presumptuous and it's impulsive and it's ambitious and it's naive all at once. And it's really, really beautiful. Have a look at what, what uh, Matthew says there in Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. Jesus comes walking on the water. The disciples are freaking out. They think it's a ghost. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you. Now, what are you expecting to come after that sentence? If it is you. You know, the disciples had been in this moment previously. They'd been on a boat on the lake in the midst of a gigantic storm. And Jesus happened to be on the boat asleep. And they cried out to him, Lord, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus gets up and with a word, he hushes this storm and calms this wind to a gentle breeze. And so you would naturally expect Peter to say, Lord, if it is you, still the storm again. Do it again, Lord. Do it like you did it last time. But he doesn't say that. He says this, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, I just, I want you to imagine that moment for a second. Imagine that moment of Peter stepping out of the boat. How weird would that have been? He gets out of the boat, his foot touches the surface of the water, and it doesn't sink. It doesn't sink. Every fibre of logic, every law of physics and buoyancy and every learnt experience that Peter has gathered over his whole lifetime is screaming at him in this moment that this is not how it works. You do not walk on water, you swim in water. And yet Peter steps out of the boat and onto the surface of the water and walks as if he's walking on dry land. And in that moment, we see Faith enacted. Faith with legs on it. Faith 
in front of our eyes. Now I want to say, what is unenacted faith? If that's even a word, I think I just made that word up. What is faith that doesn't have any obedience? Faith that doesn't have any action, but no faith at all. You see, faith is belief in action. Faith, in this instance, is the risk of getting out of the boat and being obedient to what Jesus has said. There's an old saying, I couldn't quite source it this week, I don't know where it comes from, but the saying goes like this, that faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying despite the consequences. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequences. You see, Peter has the evidence right in front of his eyes. Jesus is walking on the surface of the water. He's seen it. He's, he's heard the beckoning call of Jesus to come. And what's required of Peter is the obedience to step out, to take a risk and step out of the boat and walk on water. Faith is not as some suggest in our world, a belief in something that you know is not true. That's not what faith is, a belief in something without evidence. That's not faith. That, in that moment, if you believe something without evidence is either ignorance, it's either ignorance or it is irrational. But that's not faith. Christian faith, genuine Christian faith is a confident assurance in the Word of God, in the promises of God, in the person of Jesus, in His resurrection from the dead. No one here at Anchor will ever ask you to believe, but to believe on the evidence of Jesus. Faith. I love what Andrew said in that video. Faith is having reasonable answers to the objections that are raised in our minds as to belief in God. Faith is a confident promise, a confident assurance in the promises of God and obedience to His Word, to His voice. But additionally, faith is, um, faith is not required when you can do something on your own strength, in your own self-sufficiency, in your own power, in your own wisdom. It doesn't require faith to do any of those things. That's just called doing it yourself. That is not dependence on God. That is not trust in His power. Faith, especially saving faith, is the ability to trust God to do something that you cannot possibly do yourself. Or the ability to trust God for some event that happens in the future that is not a reality. But in this case, the ability to trust God to do something that is impossible. Peter cannot possibly walk on water. You notice there, Peter doesn't say to Jesus when he sees him, Jesus, if it's you, command me and I will swim out. He doesn't say that. He says, Jesus, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water, walking on the water. Faith here unleashes a miracle, the supernatural. Peter does what is humanly impossible. Faith is required. It's what is required to take Jesus at his word, to listen to the call, to the voice of his Saviour who says, come, and Peter goes, he steps out onto the, onto the surface of the water. And without that faith, there simply is no miracle. Without Peter being obedient 
Jesus arrives at the boat, he hops on, the disciples arrive at shore and they get on with the business of what they're doing. And Peter misses out on an amazing opportunity to walk on the surface of the water. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not suggesting here that simply because you haven't experienced a miracle in your life, simply because you haven't experienced the answer to your prayer that you've been asking God for for so many years that you lack faith, as sadly so many of you have been told in the past. That is not what I'm saying here. Peter had a specific, clear command from Jesus. Step out of the boat, come. Many of us don't have specific, clear commands from God about the circumstances of our life. And so we don't place our trust in a promise that doesn't exist. But we do place our trust in the clear commands of Jesus. And yet it's not just Peter's faith that's on view here, is it? It's more than that. It's actually also Peter's failure that's on view. Have a look at verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, let's not be too quick to criticise Peter for his lack of faith here in this moment. Let's give him the honour and the credit for the faith that got him to get out of the boat in the first place. You see, it just so happens that Peter was the only one who did so. There were 11 other disciples that chose not to do that, that sat in the boat. To sit in the boat requires nothing. To sit in the boat requires no obedience, no faith. Peter was the one who got out of the boat and walked on water. So let's not be too quick to criticise Peter here. He walks on water. That is amazing. But it's not the only thing that happens because in a, a moment, Peter's gaze begins to be diverted from Jesus to the storm that's around him and he hears the wind howling and is diverted from the voice of his Saviour and he begins to doubt and he begins to sink and he screams out, Lord, save me. Not long after this amazing burst of faith that Peter has, it fades and evaporates and disappears. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He stops listening to the voice of God and he begins to sink. And in that moment, he does what I think is a pattern for every single one of us that has a moment of failure, a crisis of faith. Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out and saves him. And really that, that picture there that we have of Jesus rescuing Peter and grabbing him is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, is to be saved by him. You see in that moment, Peter is helpless. In that moment, Peter is sinking. In that moment, Peter is drowning. And that is all of us before a good and perfect God, helpless drowning underneath the weight of our sin and our brokenness and unable to get ourselves out of the mess that we exist in. And we need someone to rescue us. And so saving faith is that moment where we cry out to God, save me. And Jesus promises that for everyone who does that, he reaches down and saves us. This is a picture of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. We need saving and Jesus does that. Ultimately, by paying the penalty for our sin, by dying on the cross in our place, 
to wipe the slate clean, to push aside our brokenness, to cover our guilt and shame, to give us new life. And he does that in that moment where he dies for the sins of the world. And so Jesus rescues anyone who calls out to him, Lord, save me. And he rescues Peter in this moment. He, he reaches down and he rescues him, but he also rebukes him. He says, Peter, are you of little faith? Why did you doubt? Why did you let the storm distract you? Why didn't you continue to believe? You see, when we fail in those moments of failure, in those moments where we, we're not experiencing triumphant victory and faith, where we're in those moments of feeling defeated, Peter is an example here of what we do in our failures. Cry out to Jesus and he's good to save. You see, in, this, in the end, this story is not so much about Peter's bold faith or his failure and his mistakes. This story really is about a saviour that is sufficient. This story is about Jesus, who in both Peter's triumph and his failure is there. He's there to beckon Peter out of the boat. He's there to rescue Peter as he begins to fail. This story is about Jesus and his sufficiency and his faithfulness and his trustworthiness. You see, in the end, Peter's not rebuked by Jesus for asking too much. Jesus didn't say to Paul, Peter. If you'd asked for something smaller, perhaps you wouldn't have sunk. He doesn't do that. He says, Peter, the problem was you failed to continue to trust. You were distracted. See, I believe that this moment has been orchestrated by Jesus. He dismisses the crowds and he, he, he compels his disciples to get on a boat and go to the other side and he heads to the mountain to pray alone by himself. He sets this moment up. He puts his disciples on the surface of a storm to grow their faith, to deepen their dependence, to show them what it looks like to trust. And this is a lesson, a demonstration of Jesus' trustworthiness, of his faithfulness to us. It's a fitting story, I felt, of where we've been as a church it's a fitting story because I feel like that's the, the moment that Tash and I decided to leave our church family that we loved and step out of the boat and begin to plant Anchor Church. And we've seen God do wonderful, amazing things in the life of this church. Not the least, the seven stories that we just heard this morning of how God has been at work in people's lives, moving them from death to life, drawing back those who had wandered, who were wayward, back into family. What an incredible blessing that has been to be a part of those stories and many more here at Anchor. But I also felt this was a, a fitting story for us moving forward. Because this is the type of, of attitude of displacement of faith that I would like our church to continue to exemplify in the next five years as we continue to do what Jesus has called us to do here at Anchor Church. There's a, a, a wonderful quote from the early church father Augustine who says that without God, we can't. But without us, he won't. 
The reality is God wants to use us. He has been using us over the last five years. He's been using us to push back the darkness. He's been using us to make disciples. He's been using us to care, to love, to bless, to serve, to lift up the broken, to put an arm around the hurting. And He wants to continue to do that. And the attitude that I want us to have as a church is to step out in bold faith and to keep our eyes fixed on the I am to keep our ears in tune to the voice of His Word and the commands that He gives us. God wants to use us. And as we dream about the future, the next five years, the next 10 years, indeed the next 50 years here at Anchor in this city, we see a future where we are a plant church planting church, as Anato has already reminded us. A church that plants churches, a church that is a disciple-making church who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. A church that multiplies gospel communities that will be scattered across our city. That's our dream. That's our hope we want to be. That, that vision of that Antioch church in Acts 13 who lays hands on Paul and Barnabas and sends people to go and plant churches. That's what we want to do. That's where we want to get to. And every church that we plant is a risk. We have no assurance that it will work. We have no guarantee that this church will float. It's a risk. It's a step of faith. Last year, we sent Scotty and Ruth to the Philippines. We saw them on the video with beautiful baby Isabel there. We sent them. That was a risk. It was a step of faith. All we know is that God has a central place for the church in His purposes for the world. All we know is that he has commissioned us to go make disciples who will make disciples. And we want to be obedient to that call. The local church is God's primary mission strategy. We, along with all of the other local churches here in Sydney, are the hope of the world. And God wants to use us to achieve his purposes in this city. Jesus promises there in Matthew 16, I will build my church. And nothing will come against it. He has sent us into the world to be his people, an outpost of his kingdom and his glory. And our task is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and our ears in tune with his voice and his commands. Now, to be fair, we haven't received a specific command. You see, Peter, he had. Jesus gave Peter a specific command. The command was, come. But we've received a general command. The command is go. Go and make disciples, or more accurately, as you go, make disciples of Jesus. That's our commission. We're commanded to be salt and to be light, to be his church. We've received an assignment to be his ambassadors here on earth. And as we do, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We keep our ears tuned to his voice, to his commands. You know, there are so many storms that might distract us from this. The personal storms we experience in our own life, whatever they are, perhaps you're walking through a season at the moment where you are feeling buffeted by a storm, perhaps a financial storm, perhaps some form of crisis that you're experiencing in your family, something to do with your career or your work. You feel like the wind is against you. 
so easily to be so easy to be distracted by that perhaps for us it's the as a church the rise of increasing secularism that pushes the church to the margins of society we can look at that and begin to fill our hearts with fear instead of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus he's called us to a task do you know the reality here in sydney is this that there are over 4.6 million people in our city who do not worship jesus and he deserves worship from every single one. The reality of the statistics of church is that 64% of church going people are over the age of 50, 24% are under the age of 40. You fast forward that a couple of generations and the church is virtually non-existent. Additionally, the, the demographics, the age bracket of 20 to 39 year olds, that represents 39% of our Australian population and only 21% of the church-going population. The emerging generations are dramatically underrepresented in our churches. You add to that in 1991, across all of Australia, there were 12,800 churches. In the 20 years from 91 to 2011, we saw our total church numbers drop by about 1,100 churches. And that includes all of the churches that were planted in that 20-year period. We saw 1,100 churches shut their doors in that 20-year period. And yet in that same period of time, our population in Australia grew by 5 million people. We desperately need more churches. And we desperately need more churches that will engage with the emerging generations who will provide answers to the questions that our, our people, our culture, our world is asking of us. And we need them now. And so at Anchor, we've always been a church that wants to do whatever it takes. Wants to do whatever it takes to see the name of Jesus made famous, to take the good news out. And that includes the necessary sacrifices of leaving comfort, of taking risks, of stepping out of the boat. Last year, as I mentioned, we sent Scotty and Ruth to the Philippines. We sent some of our best leaders, some of our best GC leaders, some of our best worship leaders, some of the most encouraging people in our church family. We prayed for them, we gave them finances and we commissioned them and we sent them to the other side of the world so that they could go and plant a church amongst marginalised people groups, amongst sex trafficked women, so that there they could lift up the name of Jesus. That's a risk. That's a sacrifice. That's a loss for us. But it's worth it. Our goal in the second half of this year is to launch a residency program where we can train up, equip, and then send out a church planter from our midst. And we want to do that. In 2020, we would love to send out a church planter here in our city, in Sydney to multiply what we have been doing here in another place. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, hang on a sec, I thought you just preached about getting out of the boat and taking a risk. If that's true, why don't you just trust Jesus and plant a church? Why worry about all the fuss? Why worry about the fundraising campaign? The reality is if we want to push people out of the boat, you've got to kind of get them in the boat first. And the residency program is the boat. And we're going to send a big storm on them. We're going to train them and we're going to make them uncomfortable. And at some point, we're going to kick them out of the boat and hope that they swim and pray for them and bless and send that church. 
But the reality is if we're gonna do that, that requires us to make sacrifices, to send people, to say gospel goodbyes, to farewell people that we love and know and have walked alongside in community, to be generous with our finances. And so to that end today, I wanna invite you into an opportunity to respond today. If this is your church, if Anchor is your family, if you believe in this vision, perhaps if you're a supporter who sits on the side and cheers us on, if you've been a part of our church family for any point of time over the last five years here at Anchor, I wanna invite you into an opportunity to make an investment in the future. So I wanna invite you to take these forms out now. These are our fifth birthday um, fifth birthday gift forms. We want you to give a birthday gift to Anchor to see a residency launch, to see churches planted. Now, can I just say that if you're someone here this morning who is not a believer, who does not worship Jesus, then please, you are under no obligation to give. This is a free will gift out of response to Jesus's good generosity to His people. If you're a guest or a friend here this morning, then please, Do not feel compelled to give. This is for those of you who believe in this vision, who love and worship Jesus, who want to see this happening. Inside this form on the white page, you'll notice there are a number of giving methods on there. The first is to give via the PushPay app. Some of you have downloaded that during the week and we invite you to open that app now and take that out and begin to prepare your gift if you haven't already done that. For some of you, you've already begun to transfer. Point number two, there is a direct deposit gift. Perhaps you've done that during the week. Perhaps you want to do that now or you will do that before next Sunday. Or for some of you, you have come prepared with a cash gift. We want to receive all of those gifts in a moment as our giving containers will come around. But I do want to just say this before we do that. I think for many of us, we believe a lie that says, well, my small part really doesn't make all that much of a difference. I can only give a small amount. Why should I bother? But I want to say that if every single person had the same attitude, we'd never get there. Every single gift makes a difference here this morning, small or large. And God does not really interested in the amount of money you give. He's interested in the attitude and the heart with which we give. And so I want to encourage you this morning to give joyfully and generously and sacrificially. Next Sunday, we will announce the amount that we have uh, raised over this last week and celebrate God's generosity to us. We did this 18 months ago and on one Sunday managed to raise almost $40,000. And we did that together just as a church. This time, we've reached out to our supporters, to our past members and asked as many people as possible to join with us in that. And so can I commend this to you this morning? As we begin to respond this morning, would you take your gift, your offering, and put it in the giving containers as they come around? If that's not you, you can simply fill in your Connect card and put that in the giving container as it comes around. But if you're a guest here this morning, you are under no obligation to give whatsoever. Simply let those giving containers pass you by. I wanna pause now as the band comes up and we uh, pray and thank God in advance for what He's gonna do in and through us for the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 20 years, the next 50 years. So we invite you all to stand, church. We're gonna respond with glad and joyful hearts. We're gonna celebrate everything that God has done over the last five years and we're gonna make an investment in the future as we joyfully and generously sow into God's kingdom. And so would you join me as... I pray for us. Father God, again, we wanna praise You, Lord. We wanna give You all the glory that You deserve. And we ask for more. 
God, please continue to work in our church. Please continue to use us. Please continue to make the name of Jesus in our city, uh, the name of Jesus famous in our city. And Father, we pray now that you would stir a joyful response amongst your people. Help us to sow generously into the future. God, we look forward to seeing what you have done in the next five years. We pray that you would continue to do it. This is all of your work. This is your church. Use us, we pray. We ask it in the powerful Name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Happy birthday, Anchor.